Thank you, Judy. A good reminder for us today and a good challenge. Let's take our Bibles, please, if you will, to Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7 this morning. I thought on Friday I knew what I was going to preach, and then I was reading my Bible yesterday, and I came to prayer last night, and Brother Judge was sharing with me what he had been reading that day and some things that he saw, and we were reading the same passage. Just I don't know if it's coincidence or not, or if the Lord did that, I don't know. And, and then I laid down to go to bed last night, and the Lord started putting a message together in my mind. And so I got up this morning and jotted a few things down, and, uh, and so I want to share those thoughts with you this morning from Numbers chapter 7. But let me encourage you, two weeks from today is our Resurrection Cantata. And I hope you've invited some folks. And um, we sent out an email this week or earlier that was a, a ready-to-go invitation. And so if you got email, uh, I just ask and challenge you to forward that to five other people, all right? And do another five this week, you know. The next two weeks are the crucial time. I find that if we invite people too early, they forget. Uh, you know, a flyer gets thrown in the garbage or whatever. But that last two weeks is really crucial to get people invited and get them uh, into church on that Sunday. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and forward that email to uh, whoever else you have in your in- inbox or your, in your uh, emails. Um, I, I went through all my emails, and I have about 500 contacts, and only 18 of them uh, that I knew were local and didn't go to church. And so I invited all 18 to come. And so let me encourage you to do the same. Invite those from family and friends that you know uh, to come on Resurrection Sunday, all right? If you are not getting those emails, please uh, go ahead and fill out a visitor's card or connection card on your way out and uh, just put, make sure you have the correct email on there. And uh, we'll get that into the system, and you'll start receiving those updates about two a week or so that we try to send out, just update people on different things. Your registration for the next Sunday comes right to your inbox. You can just click on it, and away you go. And so if you're not getting those, here's the other thing we've learned. If you have a Gmail address, it is getting put into what's called a social file. So it doesn't come to your inbox, it goes to social. Apparently there's all these tabs on the side, and people are telling me that it doesn't just show up. They have to go looking for it. And you can fix that by putting info at BethelBaptistSimcoe.ca in your address book. All right, as soon as you do that, it will allow all the emails to come through to your inbox. And that goes for anybody with any type of email. As a matter of fact, when you find the first email at the bottom, it'll say add to your address book. And you click on that button, it'll put it in your address book automatically. And that way you'll, it won't count us as spam, all right, or junk mail and put you somewhere where you can't find us. And so go ahead and click on that button if you want to receive those emails, and uh, it will uh, make sure that they come right through to your inbox, okay? Numbers chapter 7, but let me encourage you. Invite people for Resurrection Sunday. Uh, I, I want to add an extra service. I think it would be wonderful to be able to fill out three times in here, and uh, we need to get to about 90 people in the 830 service before I'm willing to add another. So let's fill up those services. And uh, we've had a, a good response in the sense that our 830 30 services got more registrations than any other 830 service we've had so far, and it's still two weeks away. So that's a good sign, but we want to fill it up and then add another one if we're able. All right, so let's work on that. Let's invite people to come to church. Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it. And all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes, 
and were over them that were numbered offered. And let's just stop there for a moment and we'll get a sense of what is going on. Understand that the tabernacle is the first temple, if you will. It really wasn't a temple. It was a tabernacle. It had the same dimensions. It had the holy place, the holy of holies. It had the outer court of the Gentiles. But it was meant to be transportable. So it was a tabernacle or a tent. We are, eventually it'll settle when they get to Jerusalem, they'll be in Shiloh and that's where they'll set up the tabernacle. But for now, they're going to travel around the wilderness with the tabernacle and set it up in each place that they would stop for any season of time. The Bible tells us in these first few verses, in verse 3, that there was a prince that was appointed from each tribe. This was not in, by any means inferring royalty. It just meant that they were people that were appointed as representatives of their tribe, a leader. And so these princes would bring these offerings, and we see, first of all, that they brought an offering to the tribe of Levi to be used in the service of the tabernacle. The Bible says in verse 3, they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered wagons and 12 oxen, a wagon for two of the princes, and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, take it of them, that they may be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt give them unto the Levites to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. And two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari according unto their service. Under the hand of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none. Because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. And so we see that these three sons of the tribe of Levi, we have Gershon, we have Merari, and we have Kohath. Each of them were given some wagons and some oxen. Gershon was given two wagons and oxen to pull it. Merari was given four wagons and some oxen to pull it. But Kohath wasn't given any because their work was of the sanctuary. Gershom and Merari would be pulling in those wagons, coverings, They'd be covering tent poles, ropes, and stakes, and things that you would use to secure this tabernacle. But for Kohath, he'd be carrying the very precious things of the tabernacle. The lampstand, the Ark of the Covenant, the whole... And the Bible says for them, they must carry them upon their shoulder. They were not to bounce around in the back of an ox cart. They were precious unto the Lord, and so they were sanctified and set aside, and God had a different way to do that type of work of the sanctuary. Now the Bible says in verse 10, as they continued on in this, this narrative, he says, "...and the princes, these same men, one representative from each tribe of Israel, offered for dedicating of the altar." So understand what we are looking at here. It's the dedication of the altar is not the dedication of the entire tabernacle. This was such an important time that we just dedicate the altar that they set aside a time just for that. All right, so the Bible says it's the time of the dedication of the altar in verse 10. In the day that it was anointed, even the princes offered their offering before the altar. And the Lord said unto Moses, they shall offer their offering, each prince on his day for the dedicating of the altar. So each prince, each leader from each tribe had a specific day that they would make an offering in the dedication of the altar. Now the Bible goes in and it tells us everything that's about to happen over the next 12 days. It says in verse 12, and he that offered his offering the first day was nation. 
the prince of the son of Amminadab, the of the tribe of Judah. So we have the prince of the tribe of Judah, this representative, this leader. His name is Nation, the son of Amminadab, and he's going to bring an offering for the tribe of Judah. That makes sense to me. Judah was the oldest brother. Then the Bible says in verse 13 of his offering. And his offering was one silver charger. The weight thereof was 130 shekels. One silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them were full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One spoon of 10 shekels of gold full of incense. One young bullock, one ram, one lamb for the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nation, the son of Aminadab. So day one is over. Notice all the offering that's involved. We have a silver charger weighing 130 shekels. It says, after the weight of the shekel of the temple. You say, why is that important? Because everybody had a different shekel weight. Coins were not minted like they are today. They were all different sizes. If you see Roman coins, you will find that they have chips out of the corner and they're a little bit different weight and size. And so a shekel from the temple was a standard weight. And this charger was to be 130 shekels. The Bible says the bowl that also was offered was silver of 70 shekels weight. And then there was a gold spoon that weighed 10 shekels. And these were the offerings that were given. But beyond the vessels, there was also some animals, and we see in verse 15, a young bullock, and a ram, and a lamb of the first year, and those were for a burnt offering. But then verse 16 tells us there was a kid of the goats for a sin offering, and then we see a third thing, a sacrifice of peace, and in that offering were two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year, and this in total was the offering of Nashon, the son of Amminadab. Now look at the second day, verse 18. On the second day, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar, prince of Issachar, did offer. So now we're moving on to another tribe. On the first day, the tribe of Judah offered, and now it's the tribe of Issachar. He offered for his offering one silver charger, the weight whereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One spoot of gold of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. Now let me ask you, as we read of the offering of Nathaniel or for the tribe of Issachar, do you notice anything different than the tribe of Judah? Did anybody catch anything? They're the same. Amen. And they are. They're exactly the same. I spent yesterday looking at all 12 tribes, and I found out that every last one of them offered the same thing. They offered a charger full of flour mingled with oil, and that charger weighed 130 shekels. They offered a bowl with more flour mingled with oil, and that bowl weighed 70 shekels. The spoon was 10 shekels of gold, and in it was incense to pour upon the altar that it might be a sweet-smelling uh, savor unto God. Then we see a sin offering, and we see a peace offering, and we see a burnt offering, and all the animals that involved in that were all laid out, but identical from the tribe of Judah. Judah, 
to the tribe of Issachar. Now read on. Verse 24. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Halon, prince of the children of Zebulun. And we have another tribe now. We have the tribe of Zebulun did offer. His offering was one silver charger. The weight whereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels. After the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One golden spoon of 10 shekels full of incense. One young bullock, the ram, uh, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering and for a sacrifice peace offerings two oxen five rams five he goats five lambs of the first year this was the offering of Eliab the son of Halon did you notice any difference it was the same now I need your participation everybody look up here for a minute this did not go so well at 8 30 all right they were still waking up are you willing to stipulate that all 12 tribes have the exact same sacrifice Whoa, that was much better. Because I had to read all 89 verses in the first service. We're not going to do that. If you're willing to stipulate that every tribe offered the exact same thing, we won't read 89 verses. How's that? Your roast beef won't burn. You'll get home in time for lunch. And uh, we'll get on with the message, all right? But I want you to notice that. That every tribe offered the same thing. Now, here's something that I find interesting. Austin, you're in the side room. You've got some things you're going to help me illustrate. If you'll bring that out for me, I'd appreciate that. And, and notice, notice what it says. Jump all the way down to verse 84. All the way down to 84. All right? We, we have fast-tracked. We're getting past all the tribes now. We've finished with the tribe of Benjamin. And verse 84 says... This was the dedication of the altar in the day when it was anointed by the princes of Israel. Listen, 12 charges or 12 chargers of silver, 12 silver bowls, 12 spoons of gold. Each charger of silver weighing 130 shekels, each bowl 70. All the silver vessels weighed two. 1,400 shekels. Now, if you're good at math, you figured that out already. The, the charger was 130 shekels. The bowl is 70 shekels. That's 200 shekels of silver for each tribe times 12 tribes, 2,400 shekels of silver. The Bible says that there's 12 spoons of gold, each weighing 10 shekels. So now we have 120 shekels of gold worth in those spoons. Now look on what it says in verse 86. Uh... Or jump down to verse 87. All the oxen for the burnt offering were 12 bullocks. The rams 12, the lamb of the first year 12, and their meat offering, and the kids of the goats for skin offering, sin offering 12, and all the oxen for the sacrifice of the peace offerings were 20 and four bullocks. He said, what is God doing? God is totaling up everything that has come in. All right? Now understand how all this works. When you bring a sacrifice to the Lord, what do you do with it? You sacrifice it. Amen? Isn't that what the purpose is? As a matter of fact, God had set aside and ordained that there would be 12 days of this. Each tribe would come, and that way, I believe it maybe it was part of it was population control. You have, you have thousands of people coming from one tribe. How can we all do 12 tribes in one day? And so this way, everybody gets to participate. 
But I think also it, it extended this feast. It extended this festival, this time of worship and praise. And for 12 days, God's people would gather day after day and they would offer sacrifices to God. And so they would come and they would bring the charger and they would bring the bowl and they'd bring the spoon and they'd bring the sin offering and, and the burnt offerings and the peace offerings and they'd bring them all to God. And for that day, they would celebrate the dedication of the altar. Now, you say, why would they bring flour and oil? That seems like a strange thing. I can understand sacrificing the sin offering. The Bible says about a, a lamb there that they would bring for a sin offering or a goat, and they would, they would cut its throat, and they would shed its blood upon the altar. And we understand what that's all about. We understand the peace offerings. We see them throughout the, Bible, throughout the Bible. We understand, if you will, even the burnt offerings and understanding giving those things to God. But why the flour and the oil? Because not only did they offer them unto God, they were to eat of the meat afterwards. So when they took a burnt offering, they would burn it unto God, but then the Levites and others, they could eat of that. That's what the Passover lamb was, wasn't it? They were to eat all of it, the sodden flesh, and they were to show their devotion to God by not just giving it unto God, but to taking in all that sacrifice in un unto themselves. And so they would prepare it with flour and oil. They wanted it to taste good too. I don't know if they breaded it or what they did, but they had a way of preparing it. We, we know that with the, the lamb for Passover, they used, uh, they used different herbs and spices and things that they would put on that lamb, and they would just make it a special time unto God, but it was something also they would partake of. All right? So they would bring this flour and this oil. Now, I brought some things here to demonstrate to you today and show you a little bit uh, what I believe is going on. I, I kind of wondered what a charger was. In the Bible, and I, I thought it was kind of like a chalice or a large cup. But then I remember reading about bringing the head of John the Baptist on a charger, bring me his head on a platter. And I, as I begin to look it up in, a, in a, a Bible customs book, I found out a charger was just a platter. And so I have some silver platters here. And, and understand that each tribe was to bring a, a, a charger that was weighed 130 shekels of the temple's weight. And on that, they would cover it with flour, mounds of flour for the offerings, and it would be mingled with oil. In other words, it was already ready to go to dress the meat. It was exactly how they wanted it. It was ready to go. And so here's what would happen. On the first day, Judah would bring that charger and he would set it down before the Lord and he would give them the flour and the oil and the priests would take that and they'd prepare the meat for the burnt offering. And then on the next day, Issachar would come and then later on, Dan would come and Benjamin and Naphtali and all of them would come and they would bring their charger under the Lord and it would have the flour and the oil. For whatever reason, and I don't know why, God said, also bring me a bowl that has the exact same thing in it. I don't know why they didn't just put more on there. Maybe God said 130 shekel weight's enough for you to carry. And with all the flour on it, that'll be pretty heavy. So, But we need another 70 shekel weight worth. So bring me a bowl of 70 shekel weights of silver. And so Issachar would come and Judah would come and Dan and Zebulun would come and Naphtali and Benjamin and all the tribes of Israel would bring their offering unto God, and the Levites would use it to prepare. Then he said, a golden spoon. Each tribe, and these are plastic, they're not real gold, so don't get excited. 
But they were to be 10 shekels weight. I don't know how big that would be. But it was to have a scoop of incense. And they were to bring that. And of course, incense was to signify a sweet-smelling savor unto God. So they would pour that upon the altar as it was burning, and the scent would go up to God as a sweet-smelling savor. Each was to bring a spoon And so, again, Issachar would come, and Dan would come, and Benjamin would come, and Naphtali would come, and and all the brothers would come, all the tribes of Israel would come, and they would bring. And at the end of the day, God said in Numbers chapter 7 and verse 45, he says, now I have 12 chargers. I only got four out as an illustration, but they had 12. He says, now I got 12 bowls. And now i got 12 stones. As a matter of fact, God's so specific about it. He says, I have 2,400 shekels weight of silver. And I have 120 shekel weights of gold all tied up in those spoons. In my practical mind, I say, why? Why is all that needed? Because the way I think is that I would come to God with my flour and oil, and I'd give it to the Levites, and I'd give them more flour and oil, and I'd give them my spoon of incense, and then when the day is all done, and we have praised God, and we have worshiped God, and we have celebrated the dedication of the altar, and we have fed our bellies on the burnt offerings, and we are returning home, in my mind, I'm thinking, why don't I give that to Issachar, and he can use it tomorrow? Why are we being so lavish? Why are we being so wasteful? Because God has taken inventory and saying, I got 12 of these, and I got 12 of these, and I got 12 of these, and we'll never use them again. Because the next time you sacrifice, I need a brand new one of these, and a brand new one of these, and a brand new one of these, and they're just going to go into the temple storehouse. They're just going to be stored away. They're going to be hoarded and kept. What's the point? I believe this, that the Old Testament is a schoolmaster. That's an Old Testament word for a teacher. It's to teach us about grace. And when I realized in verse 45 that God began to say, I've got 12 of these and 12, and this is just the first time. This is the dedication of the tabernacle. How many times over the years did they do these sacrifices? How many bowls did they have in a storeroom somewhere? How many chargers did they have set aside collecting dust? How many golden spoons were in the treasury of the temple? How many things were there that would never be used again? You say, what's the point of all that? God is trying to teach us something, and here's what I believe he's teaching us. That as important as the offering is to God, God believes that the vessel it comes in is just as important. Hear what I said? The offering is important to God, but the vessel that it comes in is just as important. God doesn't want a used vessel. He wants a clean vessel. God doesn't want you recycling somebody else's vessel. He wants you to take the time to craft your own. Each of them 130 shekels, each of them 70 shekels, each of them 10 shekels. I want you to find the best men to do the work, and I want you to craft your own vessel. I want you to take heed how you build upon the foundation I've put in your life. 
takes the time and effort. The vessel is important. You say, how does that apply to New Testament Christianity? The book of Jeremiah tells us that we give offerings of praise. Listen, I'm not talking about a financial gift today. You can leave here today and say, well, the pastor preached on money this morning. He preached on offerings. And if you want to take it that way, that's fine. But that's not, I'm not talking about a paper envelope that you stuff a check in and put in that box back there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what we are giving to God every day from our hearts. And yes, that offering is important. The book of uh, Deuteronomy says that we give offerings of thanksgiving to God. The New Testament puts it this way, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We, we, we have this opportunity and we have this, let, let me say this, more than opportunity, we have this responsibility to give offerings unto God, to give Him our praise, to give Him our worship, to glorify His holy name, not just on Sundays. And I know we talk about praising God and worshiping God and we spend time in worshiping God and we prepare the service in a, in a manner that we want to honor God with and, and I get all that and we talk about it a lot because I believe it's important. But listen, understand this. What's just important is what we are offering God is the vessels in which we are offering it. The Bible says it this way. You praise me with your lips but your hearts are far from me. When Jesus said that God is a spirit and that they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth, I believe with all my heart, truth means that the outside lines up with the inside. There's no hypocrisy. It comes from a heart. Sometimes we can come to church and we can see all over faces who's really praising God. Who's really into the, who's really believes what they're singing? Sometimes people are sad and you can see that. You can see the grief. You can see the sorrow. And they'll praise God with a tear coming down their face. Others praise and thank God with a joy in, a, in their countenance and a, just something special going on. Others open up the hymn book or they look at the screen and they say, Oh, this old song again? And it's written all over them. I've sang this song since I come here when I was four years old. You know, it, it's funny how songs, I, I have been coming here since I was four years old, three years old, something like that. And we sing a lot of the same hymns. But I'm telling you, sometimes... One of those hymns reaches up and grabs your heart like you. Why did I, I've sang that song four times a year for 44 years. At least. And then I've gone to youth conferences and I've gone to Bible preaching conferences and they sang that song. And I, I must have sang that thing 800 times by now. And yet today it grabbed my heart. I'm going to tell you, it's not the song. It's my heart. It's the vessel. Turn to first, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll give you a New Testament principle here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Whenever I read that, I have this thought. It's not about composition, it's about consecration. You say, well, you don't understand, preacher, I'm just a wood vessel. doesn't matter. There's some wood, there's some gold, there's some silver. That's not what matters. He says, what matters is, are you a vessel unto honor or a vessel unto dishonor? If you'll purge yourself of some things, you can be a vessel unto honor. You can be empty and meet for the master's use. I just, I just was impressed upon from Numbers chapter 7 that, yes, the offering is important, but the vessel it came in was important as well. God said, don't, don't reuse it. Don't be so lazy that you go and borrow somebody else's. Don't, don't ride on the coattails of somebody else praising and glorifying God. Don't run upon some family name. Oh, my dad was a, a great preacher and a, a great warrior for the faith and a great man of prayer. And my mother, boy, she, she knew how to pray heaven down and, and God use him. And so I'm just a blessed. No, no, no. Don't borrow somebody else's vessel. Each tribe had to make their own. Each tribe had to bring their own. Each tribe carried their own offering for the Lord. Take some personal responsibility. But make sure your vessel is right. A vessel that is cleaned and filled with the Holy Spirit of God and willing to be used for the Lord. Can you turn back to Numbers chapter 7? I want you to look at something with me this morning. We're almost done. Our time goes so quickly. Maybe not from where you're sitting, but where I am it does. Now, we're not going to read all 89 verses. We're not going to do that. But I'm going to ask you to trust me again, okay? If you'll look down here and let's look about verse 14, Numbers chapter 7, right around there. I'll, I'll refine that for you in a moment. Let's have a look. We'll look at verse 12. That's where we need to go. And he that offered his offering the first day was Nation, the son of Aminadab, of the tribe of... Judah. All right. Verse 18. On the second day, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar, prince of Issachar, Issachar, did offer. Verse 24. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Helon, prince of the children of Zebulun, did offer. Look at verse 30. On the fourth day, Eliezer, the son of Shadur, prince of the children of Reuben, did offer. Look down a little bit further, all the way down to verse 36. On the fifth day, Shalemiel, the son of Zerushaddai, prince of the children of Simeon, did offer. Look down to verse 42. On the sixth day, Eliasif, the son of Deuel, prince of the children of Gad, offered. Look down to verse 48. On the seventh day, Eliashama, the son of Aminahud, prince of the children of Ephraim, offered. Uh, look down to verse 54. On the eighth day, offered Gamaliel, the son of uh, Pedazur, prince of the children of Manasseh. 
Look down in verse 60. On the ninth day, skip the names of the children of Benjamin offered. Look down in verse 66. We have on the tenth day, the children of Dan offered. Uh, look down in verse 72. On the eleventh day, Pajiel, the son of Ochran, prince of the children of Asher, offered. In verse 78, uh, the children of the son of Naphtali offered. So we see all the tribes are offering. Everybody is giving their thing, but who did we miss? He said, well, those are the 12 tribes. But that is not the 12 brothers. There was one other brother. You'll remember Joseph was one of the brothers. And his two sons became tribes of Israel. Which means there was a 13th name that is missing. There was one that was taken out from among them, and it was the brother Levi. Where is he? Now, again, if I'm going to use logic and how my mind works, I think the tribe of Levi ought to be the one setting the example. They were the tribe that was pulled out from the rest of the tribes to be set apart unto God for the service of the tabernacle. You'll remember it was these oxen that were all given at the beginning of chapter 7, given to the tribe of Levi that they might do the work of the temple. But does that mean they're excluded from sacrifice? Does that mean that they shouldn't bring a charger and a bowl and a spoon and flour mingled with oil and all the animals for a sin offering and a, uh, and a burnt offering and a peace offering? Should they not set the example? Should they not be involved? Well, look what happens in Numbers chapter 8. In Numbers chapter 8, we read in verse 5, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. And thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purifying upon them, and let them shave all their flesh, and let them wash their clothes, and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bullock, with his meat offering, even fine flour mingled with oil, and another young bullock shalt thou take for a sin offering, and thou shalt bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation, and shalt, thou shalt gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel together, and thou shalt bring the Levites before the Lord. And the children of Israel shall put their hands upon the Levites. Verse 11. And Aaron shall offer the Levites, before the Lord for an offering of the children of Israel. They may execute the service of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. Let's just say that we belong to the tribe of Dan. Can I just for, for a moment, let's just assume that we're all of one family. We're all of the tribe of Dan. And I would think it's safe to say that Judah has already done his sacrifice, it's day one. And God says, I need a charger, and I need a bowl, and I need a spoon, and I need a he-goat, and I need some oxen, and I need some rams. And, I, and God lists out all the things that are going to be taking place. And then Issachar comes along, and he does the exact same thing on day two. Exactly the same. Everything's exact. Now, if I'm Dan, and I know I'm day six or seven, I'm thinking in my heart, well, I might as well get a bowl ready. I might as well get a charger ready. I might as well get a spoon ready. I, might, I better get some flour and oil prepared, and I, I better get some incense, and I better get some annals inspected and, and make sure that they're fit for an offering, And because it just looks like every day is the same. 
Wouldn't you agree? I would, I would just assume that. I would just assume every day. And if you read the Bible, every day was exactly the same. If I'm of the tribe of Levi, I might think the exact same thing. I might think I need a bowl and a charger and a spoon and I need all these animals. But think about this. Put yourself in the tribe of Levi for a moment. God comes to the tribe of Levi and after 12 days of sacrifice and festival and thanksgiving and praise and all these animals shedding their blood as an offering, God says to Levi, now it's your turn. And they think, oh, wow, wonderful. And God says, but instead of all the animals, you are the offering. That, that might scare me a little bit, unless I understood clearly what God meant. All those sacrifices and offerings before were an illustration to Levi about what it meant to give your entire life sacrificially to God. And so as Levi came before the altar, thousands of them, and all the nation of Israel gathered on that final day, the 13th day, they stood and they watched. They still sacrificed for their sin. But it says all the tribe of Levi were offered fully unto God surrendered, given. If I were to entitle this message, I would say this. Some gave an offering, but some gave their all. Now understand this. In any church, we need this. We need people to sacrifice financially. We need people to give offering. That's, that's how the work of God goes forward. That's how we fund things. That's how we pay for the lights and the building and our missionary work and all the rest that goes on. That's, that's just a fact of life. We need people that will fill the pews each Sunday and sing God's praises with a pure heart. Listen, I've been in those services. I've been there. I, I've been in services where we're up here singing your heart out and leading singing and everybody's looking at you and just staring at you like, what time is this done? I've been there. I've had discouraging times. I've also been there where the people of God are just excited to be in church and they want to praise God and, and just the feeling of the Holy Spirit fills the room and you just know that God is there and enjoying the praise of his people. And I've been on either extreme and I've seen it. I've seen where, where the church, where there's a smattering of people that are excited and there's a smattering of people that are discouraged or angry about something in the church. But we need those that are giving offerings of praise and offering of thanksgiving and those that faithfully come each week and they bring their chalice and they bring their bowl and they bring their spoon and they offer something unto God with a pure heart and understand that the vessel is just important as the offering itself. But we also need some Levites. We need some people that are willing to surrender their all to God. I was reading this yesterday, and I'd already been burdened this week about and been praying for a little bit about starting some sort of ministry to try to encourage the next generation to get involved. We just had another church in London that lost their pastor this week. And honestly, you can look, we can look across Canada and go, who's going to take the church? Who's going to pastor it? 
it's so difficult to find anybody. We have, listen, you could go into Toronto today and plant 100 brand new churches and still not scratch the the surface of the millions of people there. The need is desperate. Listen, the answer is not our government. Paul agrees with me. Listen, pray for Mr. Ford and pray for Prime Minister Trudeau and we are to pray for our leaders, but they are not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. And I'm becoming more and more aware. I'm, I'm not that old. I'm 48 years old. I'll be 49 this year. But I realize, does that mean I have 15 years left in full-time ministry? What does that mean? Who's going to come and pastor Bethel Baptist Church then? Who is next? Who is preparing for service? Where are the young people that'll say, I don't know if God wants me to be a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, or a a pastor. I I don't know what that means. Do I go to the foreign field? But we're not asking for that. I'm not saying to you, listen, who's going to Africa and who's going to be our next? What I'm saying is, who is willing to surrender? Who's willing to say, God, I'll just do whatever you want me to do. Maybe it means I, every week I bring my chalice and I got flour and oil and I'm going to come and I'm going to worship. Because churches need that. We need people that will worship. Maybe it'll be, I'll bring my bowl every week. I, I can't offer as much as 130 shekels, but I got 70. I can bring this much to praise God with. I can, I'm not talking about money. But to my ability, I'll give all I got. Some might say, this is all I got. It's not as much as the guy with the chalice. I don't have all the talent he has. I don't have all the gifts that he has, but I got this. I can give that to God. It might be off key, but I'm going to sing my guts out. I keep forgetting you're not supposed to say guts. I'm going to sing my heart out. I'm going to give all I can in praise. It's not going to be half-hearted. I'm going to give all to God. But whatever I find to do, I'm going to do it with all my might. Hey, listen. I think that the tabernacle, or the local synagogues, I think they must have had offering plates like this. Because when the Pharisee went in and poured all his coins in, he wanted everybody to know. Cash out the bills. Give me rolls of quarters. Jesus wasn't impressed with that. He was impressed with that little widow that just snuck in, put her two mites in. He says, you know why I'm impressed with her? Because she gave her all. Not because she had this to give, she had very little to give. I, I saw a widow's mite when Pastor Connor bought one when we were in Israel. They're the smallest little thing, like a little pebble almost, with just a Roman inscription on it, just so tiny. I don't imagine it made much noise when it hit the bottom of that barrel. Not compared to the buckets of money the Pharisees were pouring in. By the way, most of it probably wasn't even their money, money they had collected and taken. Just so tiny, so small. Jesus says, there's one that loves me right there. 
She gave her all. We need all of these people. We need all those 12 tribes coming and giving their worship, their praise, their offerings, their tithes. But we need some people to step up and say, I'm going to give my life. I'm not saying God will take your life. I'm just saying we need some people that are willing to surrender. And and you may say, well, I'm not so young, but I'm in that boat right there. I'll surrender. I'll do whatever God wants me to do. Maybe God has you just being here every Sunday. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just a matter of God says, hey, I want you to go to prayer meeting. You come Sunday morning, Sunday, I want you to come to prayer meeting too. Boy, we need prayer. I, I want you to do something a little different. I want you to do something more. I want you to get whatever it might be. But here, here's a fact. You will never know unless you surrender. Because with surrender comes sanctification. And that's how we become a vessel of honor, by being clean. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Are you surrendered? Have you ever said, God, whatever it is you want, I want to give my all. I want to pursue it with a passion. If if what you want me to do is to stand in my pew each and every week and sing my heart out for God, I'll, I'll be there. If you want me to greet people at the door, if you want me to get on a bus and go pick up some kids, whatever it is, I'm willing to do it. But we need to surrender to it. But I can't help but think that God... Listen, Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago that the Father would send forth laborers. I can't help but think that God still needs laborers today, still desires to, to call people, to use them for His glory. And we need some Levites that are willing to give their all. Let's stand to our feet. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Brother Daniel's going to play. This is a song of regret. By and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. I imagine we all could say that, but I never want to hang my head before God and say, God, what have I done? I've wasted my life chasing after things that are not important when I should have just surrendered and done whatever you wanted me to do. The altar's open even now. If God spoke to your heart, would you come? Could I encourage you to do this? Would you desperately pray that God would raise up laborers? We need some to go. Who's going to be the next generation? Would you pray?